one of the things I was constantly saying with my team was treat every child like they're going to be your future heart surgeon. Oh. And, you know, <laughs> treat them that way because they need the attitude toward you. They need the skill set. They need the understanding to, that if they're ever in that position and your life is in their hands to flip that coin, make sure they're ready. Welcome to Education Rx. The education system in the U.S. is sick, and we all need to find ways to heal it. I'm Holly Bronson. I'm Shannon Donaway. Together, we have almost 50 years of experience working as professionals in a school setting. We may not have all the answers, but we're looking for people who have a piece of the solution puzzle. This is Education Rx. Okay, today we are here with Will McCoy. Right now he is employed with... Invo Healthcare. And then Shannon, of course, is here. What are you doing over there, Shannon? Taking notes, as usual. I know. When we look down, we're taking notes. Everyone watching, Mr. McCoy, we're not ignoring you. We are taking notes because we actually take notes. <laughs> I know. We're, you're always learning. You have to always be. Should be. Shannon, take us away. All right. So today, like Holly said, we're talking to Will McCoy. Can you introduce yourself again to everybody and let us know kind of what you do, how you're involved in education, what your passions are, anything at all you'd like to share with the, the group? Oh, thank you, Shannon. Well, first, thank you for having me back. I had such a good time the first time uh, <laughs> we were on, and I, I was just honored that you brought me back, especially to talk about administration. I was in education for 20 plus years, everything. I started as a preschool teacher and loved that, but um, your knees get tired from squatting down all the time. So then I went in. Little into, chairs. <laughs> right, all the little chairs, all of that. I was much younger when I did that. So preschool teacher, teacher, teacher trainer, vice principal, principal, turnaround principal, superintendent, turnaround superintendent. And so, you know, got to really be a part of the whole spectrum mm -hmm. of teaching and administration. I went on to train superintendents throughout California, was eventually recognized by the state of California for my work in training superintendents. And then career highlight was being recognized by the White House. Oh, man. For my work uh, in equity and thinking on behalf of, of children and helping superintendents kind of reframe their budgets and their budgetary process so that all students are receiving the maximal benefit. So can't beat that. I've written some books since then. Worked yes. Even my work at Invo Healthcare is helping school districts get behavioral and mental health services. So I'm not too far afield from what I used to do. I miss the first and last day of school every year because those are the best days, right? And so- <laughs> They are. So here I am. It's, it's it's great to be here. Thank you. Tell us the names of the books you've written and what they're about. Oh my goodness. Okay. So the first one is uh, your first 30 days as a leader. And so that's talk, just a general leadership book. Uh, all my books currently are published by BookBoon, bookboon.com. I have one called Grateful Business Practices, which I co-wrote with my lovely wife. And uh, we had a company together and I just... I'm super proud of the way that we treated our own team and our customers and our clients. And so we wrote about that. The one that's most pertinent to the discussion today is called What I Did Wrong, Raw Lessons in Leadership. And so that one really delves into my work as a superintendent, also in the business world. But as a superintendent, I, hopefully my mistakes I can share so others won't make them. That was the purpose of the book. And, and it's a full book. So, you know, I, I, there are lots of lessons to be learned and tough experiences. Being an, an admin is incredibly difficult. And so I'm looking forward to the conversation today. And then finally, the last, the last book that I wrote is called Business Manners. And it's simply nobody teaches how to have nice manners anymore in the business world. And so this is a guidebook for new leaders or anyone in the business world that that simply wants to know what what's the best etiquette here? How do I how do I 
present myself in the best way possible. So lots of, lots of good stuff, lots of good experiences to share. I was fortunate that they asked me, they came to me and said, hey, will you write some books for us? Nice. And so, uh, so it's an honor, uh, just like it is to be here. I reached out to you to help me with this topic because I knew you had so much experience as a leader and also because I really appreciate your positive attitude and your willingness to be really honest and transparent about the hard stuff. I I have told you, but I have a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth as an educator with some of the administrators I've worked with and some of the things I've watched at the very top levels with school boards and superintendents and even communities that are feeding into those school boards and some of the changes that have happened. And I just, I really want to change that perspective. I really want to have a good attitude (laughs) because I want to be a team player in the world of education, but it's really frustrating. I think when you are a teacher or a special service provider or somebody sort of lower on the food chain and the administration that you're working for, you don't feel safe with. You don't feel you can trust them. You don't feel like what they tell you or what they, when they ask for your opinion, that they actually want it and they're going to use it in some way. Like I've had those kinds of experiences. And then I have had, I will literally say I've had two administrators and leaders that I've worked for that I thought were phenomenal. And the others, I was like, (laughs) no, not a fan. So I would really like us to go into this mini series talking about administrators with the hope that we can understand maybe some of the pressures that they're under and some of the restrictions they have as well. So we can have better understanding, but ultimately get listeners to have some answers for the things that are driving them crazy about their leadership. Because I know when we talk to teachers and educators, and I'm sure you hear this too, a lot of people who are leaving education, I know the big newsworthy thing is, oh, they don't make enough money. Yes, that's true. But a lot of educators have said, look, I know how much I was going to get paid when I went into this. I went into it because I wanted to work with kids. I was passionate about education And I wanted to work with kids and now I'm leaving because, and there's multiple reasons for that, but one of those is administration and feeling unsupported. And so I wanted us to have those conversations and I'm sure you hear, hear that a lot. (laughs) Well, I I do. And I, I I think just kind of some expectation setting or, or level setting, just in all fairness, I think it's important, you know, admin are learners too. Yeah. And admin are humans, right? And we're all fallible. I, I I wrote the book that I mentioned because I didn't do it all perfectly. Yeah. And so when when we take it to that level, and I can tell you, it's not any better in the corporate world. As as people are leaving, you know, there are crummy bosses everywhere. We've all seen those TV series. We've all seen those movies. And so, you know, taking it to the human level and then having the discussion about multiple points of view around a single subject, I think is kind of fascinating because, it, you know, when you and I were speaking last week, we talked about, or maybe it's the week before, we talked about how, you know, you have had some experiences that were positive or negative, or you get lots of questions. And I said, well, you know, from the admin perspective, here's, here's, one way to perceive it from the teacher perspective and from the, you also mentioned parents. And so that, that, that kind of triad of the community, the the educators and the admin, it's fascinating. Then you layer school boards in and the politics and all that, which is a whole, you know, could be its own mini series that it, all of these situations are complex. And so it's fun to be able to kind of unwrap those and, and peel the onion today and, and see what's stinkiest, I guess. Well, and I think in general, especially thanks to social media, I think our culture has gotten to a place where we don't have a lot of tolerance or ability to allow people the opportunity to share their opinions, their thoughts, their perspectives without wanting to shut that down. And it's strange to me. I don't really understand that. I don't understand, you know, like, oh, you didn't vote the way I voted or, oh, you don't like the same show I like, so I'm going to block you, you know, like, I don't get that. I don't understand that because that's how we learn and grow. And I think 
honestly, that's part of what America's built on, you know, like that we're different and we're all together and we can be a community, even though we have a variety of belief systems. And so I think when we talk about education, that's something we also need to learn how to be tolerant for. We need to learn how to be tolerant with people's humanity. And I think we've lost some of that. There's just, everybody seems still on edge. And I think it, it got exacerbated during COVID, but it feels like we're still kind of there. Yeah, I, I think everything has been simple, oversimplified and, and polarized, right? It's either you're one extreme or the other. And, you know, professional or at least respectful discourse in the middle has been lost. And yes. so the ability for us to come together, talk about a situation and, and maybe not agree, but still be respectful of each other and maybe open our ears just enough to understand someone else's perspective with empathy or compassion that has been lost and i and i certainly hope to gain it back that actually the the book that i'm working on right now is called raising good humans and so it's a a guide for parents and educators to work together toward raising good humans and that's so funny that you would say that so we (laughs) i was going to ask you this at the end but i think it's timely because you brought this up So I started reading the book, uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek, Sinek, Sinek. okay. And it's really focused on uh, a business world perspective, but just really understanding the vision and the why behind what you're doing before you're thinking about what you're going to do and how you're going to produce it. And I feel like in education, we're kind of at this weird tipping point. We've lost our why. And when you look through history, we started public education for capitalistic reasons, right? Like we wanted to create children that would be skilled workers. And so it was very much started and funded and driven by community business leaders and made public so that everyone could have access so that we could have a larger labor workforce. I don't think that that is necessarily what we're trying to do now. But have we gone back and revamped that? Have we gone back and really considered what is our why? And we were, at one point we talked with Dr. Posse Salberg and he was saying, you know, it's our job as in education to create good humans, which yes, I love that. Yeah. But that's such a broad thing. And we have so many debates happening in the media right now about boundaries for teachers and parents. Right. You know, what should we be, bridging and talking about in schools and what things should be taught in the home and why is that not being taught in the home for many people and whatever. So what do you think is our why in education? Well, I think that the prior definition is a piece of it, right? I mean, we want we want an educated workforce that can be productive. Great. That's an awfully low bar. Right. I think we can do so much better. And you know, for me, the purpose of education is really to provide every child with the skills to ensure future success. And that's a broader definition because those skills are really about, you know, I think empathy, compassion, understanding, the ability to problem solve, all of, you know, balance a checkbook, all of those, those world uh, skills that make a society a productive place, regardless of your political views. Right. You know, I, 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 I don't want to get into that, but, yeah. but certainly there are values that I think are universal or should be. Uh, and I'm going to continue to promote those. I'm, I'm not, everybody's going to agree with me and that's okay. It'll probably make for some good blog posts, but beyond that, I, I think that we can we can do better. You know, when I was the CEO of No Bully, which was anti-bullying, anti-cyberbullying, I I got to travel around, and there were universals. Kids were being bullied, and there were there were people out there that said, "I think bullying is okay." They they felt like it was an assertion of learning your social standing and being confident and all of that. And so I had some fascinating conversations about. Well, confidence is an important, important trait. 
and I want every child to be confident, but can we treat, train children to be confident without it being to the detriment of someone else? Right. Right. Mm, yes. It's like the, you know, the best discipline is self-discipline. The best confidence is self-confidence. And so to be able to take it on that humanistic level of, I want children, I want my son, he's going to Davis next year. I want him to be confident in going to college and being knowing his own self well enough that he will do well. He doesn't have to, you know, point fingers or make fun of anybody else. I just want him to stand in his own strength yeah. and be and be confident. And so, yeah, that these basic fundamental pieces about children and growth, I think can be taught, I think can be nurtured. I think that education and parents need to work together on that, which is why I'm writing it. So half of each chapter is for parents and half of each chapter is for educators nice. so that they can work together. But yeah, I, I think that these are skills that can be developed and taught and can be, you know, for the 90%, I think we can agree on. Yeah. And that, well, that's and better than we have right now. What is the role of an administrator in creating that top-down culture? You know, it's a high pressure job and you are only as good as your team. Mm. I think that, you know, one of the things I, I feel like I did pretty well was to try and appreciate my team. I walked every classroom. I was out there talking with people. I did little get appreciation gifts, not just on teacher appreciation day. Right. I mean, like, the Hallmark, I'm surprised Hallmark hasn't made that like its own holiday, like just so there's more cards. But walking in on, you know, September 14th is just as important and maybe more important than when you're all ready to May in the classroom. Yeah. And so I think being a part of the culture, making sure that everyone understands we're, we're here for children. I may have mentioned before one of the things I was constantly saying with my team was treat every child like they're going to be your future heart surgeon oh. and, you know, oh. treat them that way because they need the attitude toward you. They need the skill set. They need the understanding to, that if they're ever in that position and your life is in their hands to flip that coin, make sure they're ready. And so when you start with that type of big picture and that big type of approach that you know joey is acting up today but later in life joey may see you at the side of the road with a flat tire wouldn't you want to raise that good human right about or give you a ride or at least you know get you an uber so, <laughs> and not swerve right i mean so let, let's take it on that fundamental level of how are we going to raise good humans together and also be compassionate in remembering teachers and educators mm -hmm. are people too, right? We all have good days. We all have bad days. We all have family issues. We all have these things called life and that's okay. And so we need to help each other out as best we can. I think that's how leaders change a culture and build a culture. Uh, when I first started at Red Bluff Elementary, I was brought on as the principal at Vista Middle School which was a historically kind of underperforming school recognized by the state for being underperforming. Not great. And my first year as a principal, I came in and I said, okay, our theme for this year is our time to shine. And everybody was like, Vista? What? And it was just taking that mindset shift of, no, we're not what everybody says we are. We are who we make ourselves. Let's yeah. have some self-determination here. And the following year, we were recognized by the state for the incredible growth that was shown in academics, in lowering discipline rates, all of that. And it just, sometimes it takes that, that lever or different perspective to say, you know what, this, this is a new year, which is why I'm so excited about these podcasts, because they'll be coming out right before the school year. Yes. Right? So it's like, what are we, what great things are we going to do this year for kids? I don't know. Get all fired up. I guess that's probably yeah, what you're that's good. But that's here's a, my, go ahead, Shannon. No, I was just gonna say that's a really good way to approach it. I mean, and I can think of a few schools near me that need that approach to 
just be like, we don't have to be what everybody has said we are for the last 10 years. Right. Well, and you, the kindergartners don't know any better. No. Right? Yeah. They, they, they'll be like, this is the greatest school ever. <laughs> yes, it is. Right? Like, <laughs> they don't know. And then you raise them through that culture. And by the time they graduate from sixth grade, you've got a phenomenal school. Right? So it's that patience, which I'm horrible at. And, you know, just continuing to try and improve the team, support the team, and really convince the community that the school is worth investing in. And that comes from your school board, that comes from your police department, your leadership, like all of those outside forces, because you're always fighting against community perspective too, right? Yes. You know, they've either all went to that school and they fully believe in it and they wear the school colors and, you know, they're all on board or they're like, I wouldn't send my kid there in a million years. And so <laughs> you, you've got to overcome that because those kids are there in those seats and need your best period. Yes. Well, and I think, so here's the dichotomy in that, like you're talking about this positive spin and we can all get on board with that. We all want that. True. A lot of us have had the experience where, you know, we have between the superintendent and the school principal, the administrators that are in between there are clamoring for recognition to prove their value or because they're trying to get to that end game of I want to be superintendent or I want to, you know, be high up on that food chain. And so they're trying to prove their value by bringing constant novelty into a situation under the guise of it being, you know, relevant or being innovative to help the school move forward. And when teachers are saying, I can't do another curriculum, I just figured this one out, I'm finally getting into a routine. And they're like, sorry, you need to do this. And you know, principals are like, oh my gosh, I can't retrain my staff on this whole new social emotional learning program. Like we just finally got this one in place. And so some of these things are happening and I've worked with administrators where you know, I was asking for, hey, this is an area that I really think we need to use. And I'll, I'll be specific. We were talking about educational technology before it was a really big thing during COVID in a small town that that really were very proud that they were a hands-on district. We don't use technology because we're a hands-on district. And I created an entire proposal with all kinds of things that were like how to go one-to-one -one and how to do this or how to do that. And just submitted it. And the only person that would listen to me, my boss was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. And just go talk to this other person. So I went to the deputy superintendent and shared all of this. And he was like, I love it. We need to start talking about this. Go back and tell your direct boss that we need to start talking about this. So I called her and met with her and literally in a therapy room with another therapist there, she stood up and yelled at the top of her lungs if you have these ideas, you give them to me. It's me who turns them in. I'm the one that shows them this. I'm the one that should be getting credit for this. And it was like, are we all here to help the kids or what? I've been telling you for two years that we needed to do this. And you told me to go to this guy. And I went to this guy, like you told me. And, you know, and I think we've all had experiences like that with whether it was your school principal, whether it was a mid middle range administrator, or even I had really negative experiences with a superintendent who like just started gunning for me. And because I was one of a few people who wanted to help the special service providers have access to the union because we were not getting contracts renewed like everybody else. And we had people who had been there for 10 years or more and were just told, oh, we're not renewing your contract. And so like some of those things, it, it shouldn't be that way. I, I I wish that we didn't need unions. I wish that we didn't need some of these things, but I get why they're there. And I'm not saying pro or against or anything else. I'm just saying as leaders, some of the experiences those of us working underneath have had have not been kumbaya. They have been really hard and Absolutely. the personality differences and the, and the politics of it, you know, with school boards telling superintendents, you shared this with me, you heard a superintendent that said their school board said, go to every conference. Well, I need you here in the district helping, like being present. 
Why are you traveling? Why are we spending the money on that? So talk us through, like, because not everybody's got this positive attitude, but we need to get there. How do we get there? What, where are they coming from? Share some of that. That was a lot to unpack. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let, me, let me approach it bit by bit. Okay. Uh, so the first part was, well, let's, let's jump to the supervisor that kind of flew off the handle when you did what they were supposed to. Which I'm, you know, what, you, what they had encouraged you to do. It right? was ridiculous. And I, in the moment was like, this is ridiculous, but yeah. I'm saying people have those experiences. I'm fine. It's, but right. it's just disappointing, right? Like we're all oh, it's totally disappointing. Well, and especially you said you put in two years of saying, Hey, this is something we need. This is something yeah. we need. This is something we yes. need. So what advice I have on any volatile supervisor hmm. is keep your documentation, mm. right? So you could have, I mean, and maybe you did, but you could say in the email that I sent you on March 12th, I said this, and you encouraged me to talk to the assistant superintendent or whomever it was. I followed that direction. And so I'm sorry if there was a miscommunication, but this, this seemed very clear to me at the time, right? Yes. So hang on to all those things because we've all had volatile bosses. And when it comes down to it, sometimes people are stressed. Sometimes people are, you know, everyone wants something from an administrator. Yes. Right. I mean, that's the nature of the, the role, especially of superintendent. No one comes in your office to, you know, bring you cupcakes unless <laughs> they want something, you know, to influence you towards some decision. So no, everyone wants something. And it's some, I saw a statistic was like 500 or a thousand decisions a day. So keep that in mind in that they may have said, you know what, Holly, that's a great idea. You know, take it to them, you know, just because I have 14 other priorities that are more pending on my stress level right now than, than what you've got going on. And it seems harmless. So yeah, go ahead and take it. It may have been a, a, a quick decision, but hang on to all those things, especially once you have that experience with someone like that, which is a total bummer. Let me just, I'm not going to justify or, <laughs> you know, try and defend that person. But we talked about, okay, what are the multiple perspectives? Yeah. The other part that we were talking about is, okay, let's talk about superintendents and expectations on superintendents. Let's just kind of, you know, let's hit that and let everything fall out. Mm -hmm. uh, the the superintendent role is unlike a principal role. I thought it was going to be very similar. I'm like, okay, I'm going from one school to five schools. I I think I have a feel for this. Yeah, totally naive in that the politics involved and the level of pressure and responsibility. Mm. You know, when I became my first superintendent job. I had 3,000 students in my district. To go from 500 students to 3,000 students, which meant 6,000 family members or more, like it, it- Exponential. Compounds, and I was in a small town, so it was the local elementary school district. So then, you know, there's some gravity to that and super stressful, and then you bring in negotiations and you bring in litigation and you bring in five, well, five or seven or nine board members all with, once again, something thereafter. Mm -hmm. I would love to say board members are these just kind, wonderful folks that just love education. Um, but that, that hasn't always been my experience. Yeah. And so they all want their perspective to be most important. And so, and the superintendent is at the nexus of all these points of views and all these people wanting something. The superintendent that you referenced, that's my friend, his board said, we have a very high, highly esteemed district. We wanna be at the forefront of the national education conversation. We hired you to be a part of that conversation. We know that you can attend to the details. We know that you can attend board meetings and all that. We want, we want you at, as the public face of our district on a state and national level. That's what his direction was. And I, that was the first time I had come across that. But 
I wasn't incredibly surprised. So on a much smaller scale. Do you think that that is what a superintendent or a school district should be doing? I mean, if there are national conversations, absolutely, we need to include people from that represent different districts, but is it the district's job to bring themselves to the surface or should, I, I mean, like, I feel like that's not their job. Is that is that their job? Well, I, I think the job description is determined by the school board. Okay. Right? That job description is very different from the one that I had in that, you know, every child will succeed, every child will be reading at third grade level or by third grade, all of those types of things, all the, the core basic pieces were a, a strong uh, aspect of my job description. As a turnaround superintendent, everything wasn't, you know, roses and honey and sunshine. It was, all right, we got, we got some work, roll up your sleeves, let's, let's go where there's possibly a mismatch in that district, or maybe there's not, maybe everybody loves that school district and all children are succeeding and it's, and it's lovely. And knowing that district, it's not doing so bad. I mean, it's pretty affluent area, all of that, but that's not where I chose to spend my career, right? I, I left a district that had that affluence, but it also had a lot of politics that was very unfortunate. Yeah. So as people are hiring superintendents, that's when the teachers, the teachers union, the community really need to lean in because there are opportunities for input. Any good search firm is going to have community sessions and discussions related to what do we need from a superintendent. Mm -hmm. And at that point, the teachers union needs to show up and say, we want someone that's present. We want someone that is in our classrooms. I went into one district as, as the new superintendent. And they said, our superintendent hasn't walked our classrooms in the three years that I've been here or the four years that I've been. I, I was stunned. I, and it wasn't a big district. So I closed my office. I, it was at the district office. I closed the district office and moved all the, all of the offices to the school site so that we were in the middle of everything. And so you couldn't help but engage and interact with, with the staff. And I walked classrooms every day. That, you know, in a huge urban district, obviously you can't do that. I, you're not gonna run Chicago and be in every classroom every day. Right. But it should be a piece. It shouldn't be so unusual that news cameras are there, right? <laughs> yeah. It shouldn't be a PR opportunity. It should be, what? how are we helping our students? And do you think that the makeup of school boards has changed over the last 20 to 40 years? I mean, it used to really be focused on parents and maybe a few business uh, community business leaders. And now it feels like there's a lot more politics involved in it. I've seen people really use it as a stepping stone to get into local politics, a lot more business yeah. um, involvement, a lot more that shift and I and I think when I was in a town that was smaller and we were hiring a new superintendent yeah the business firm came and yes the union was able to give their two cents and at the end of the day the board said well we're going to hire who we're going to hire it's not right. your it's not your call well but then next election both those board members out I mean like there there are levers yes um, yes and thank you they're, for pointing they're difficult. that out and you have to be patient, but when a school board is acting on their own, in their own best interests and not in the best interests of students, then the community needs to respond as they feel is appropriate. Okay. And often that's through local elections. Yes, I think it is highly politicized now. I've, I saw that change even at, in the last 20 years as, as I was in the system. When you said 40 years, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not that. I'm not that old, <laughs> but in the last well, me like, either. Know, I'm not 10 that to 20 old. years ago, um, <laughs> certainly I think that school boards were more just genuinely concerned with the school, right? And not all of the, all the other pieces that, that come into play. I also think that school board training is really important. I, I built some trainings for the California School Boards Association 
and you know they have a thousand clients uh, that the, there's a thousand school districts in California. Mm -hmm. And so helping them build trainings for school board members on what what's okay, what's not okay, the Brown Act, all of those things about, you know, public conversation, public voting, private information, I think is really critical because people see it as much more of a pulpit to be able to, you know, politicize their views than the role was necessarily intended for. I think that you know, once they truly understand the role, and if you do some sort of orientation for your candidates mm -hmm. before they are elected about this is the role and this is what it looks like and this is what we do, that some folks will realize it's not necessarily the, you know, grand stage with great lighting that they were looking for for whatever their mm -hmm. political views are. And certainly they're not a quorum, so. I wonder how many districts do that. Not enough. Yeah, I, I'm sure that's the answer, but I like my district. I don't know that they do that. I'm. I, I think I it's a valuable, a valuable thing. And then there are districts that I okay. I'm gonna have to be a little bit vague on this, but I was approached by a recruiter related to being a superintendent in a district, and I said, okay, so tell me about the district. Tell me about the school board. And he said, Will, this isn't a good job for you. And I said, okay, why is that? He said, they're not looking for change. I said, their performance is not great. Their, their Hispanic students are underperforming. They're at 40% proficiency. Like I, I, I did my homework, right? Mm -hmm. And they said, they're not looking for change. They're looking for status quo. They had someone come in and ruffled a bunch of feathers. They're not looking for that again. So knowing you, knowing your background, knowing your approach, Will, this isn't for you. So there are districts that are losing out on potential candidates because of the viewpoints that are expressed by school boards. And that's, that's incredibly unfortunate because superintendents report to school boards, but they're responsible to students. Mm -hmm. And that dichotomy is a tough one. That's a, that was well said. And I think we forget that. The school board has a really big role. And I think just pointing out community members have to vote. Teachers have to vote when the school, you know, when they are community members, and they're not always, but you know, when those elections come, and I think that's true every opportunity we have as citizens to vote, we have to make our voice heard. And I think we live in an era where we think our votes don't actually count. We feel very apathetic toward on like a national level for voting that we're voting but maybe somebody's changing those votes like who knows there's so much propaganda these days that i think people feel very overwhelmed but i believe on a school board level on that level of voting your voice can absolutely make a difference absolutely vote and and say what you think and make your thoughts known because it really really matters and it sounds like from some of the experiences you're sharing it can really shape the attitudes and focus of the whole district. Absolutely. Well, and, and not only that, you know, getting the right board members is also a matter of schools do kind of historically a poor job of promoting the great stuff that's going on, right? Mm -hmm. You hear about when something bad happens or you hear about yep. test scores fell 2.6% or whatever and not, hey, you know what, we had, 13 students with higher attendance rates that were chronic absentees previously that, that got perfect attendance this year. Like, you know, all of those types of things, schools in their busyness and humility, frankly, we don't talk up enough the great things that are going on. You know, in, in the previous episode, we talked about schools survived the pandemic. Yes. It was messy. It was hard. It was... <laughs> all of those things, but at the end of it, the education industry pivoted faster and harder than any other industry and served children. Now, was it what we want, all wanted? No. Did we have the chance to do a reset, which is a different conversation? But the fact is education came out of it and, and we're back, baby. I mean, like we made it and kids are learning and we are getting back into it and nobody, that I saw 
I didn't see that on the national news. You know what? Thank you, teachers. Thank you, nurses. All of those types of things, but not, holy smokes, this incredibly essential industry made it. And thank you genuinely for trying to serve children as best you could during the pandemic. Nobody said that. And, and that makes me incredibly sad because as I see teachers leaving the career, as I see administrators also leaving, I think that appreciation goes a long way. No, it doesn't fix everything. But absolutely, it's a core belief of, wow, we really appreciate. I can't imagine teaching kindergarten through Zoom. Right? Like, bless those teachers. Can we just? Yes, I'm with you. Yes. I, I can't imagine. And they hung in and they did it. And, you know, so positive press will also get the attention of those people you want on your school board. Right. Right. Those positive vibe people, those people that care about all students succeeding, that care about underprivileged kids having the same opportunities as the affluent families, all the all of the people with the mindset that I would hope everyone has. But we know that that's not the case. But those people want to be a part of something good and positive and growing and hopeful. You know, when I said our time to shine. That was a hopeful statement. And I had members of the community come forward and say, wow, that's different. I, how can I help? Right? <laughs> well, you know, those are the type of people that we want. And yes. not, you know, our time to shine. Well, I'm going to turn off the light. You know, like, just, I don't even want to have that conversation with people. I Buy in, be positive, and let's go. Try your best. Same thing we tell students. Try your best. Did you try your best today? All right. We're going to take a swing at it again tomorrow. So talking about like the superintendent that was asked to go to conferences and get on that national scale, but also those in-between administrators that are a departmental administrator, maybe it's a curriculum department or uh, student support services. I know I have also had administrators that literally in a semester, maybe we're in the district, in the state half of the semester because they were gone doing trainings and conferences. And I have to tell you, working directly underneath them, none of that information came down to me or the people below me. And think of all the money we spent to send them to all these things. And personally, I would say, and maybe this is wrong, you can correct me and help me understand this. Why are we sending them to all this stuff? Why don't they bring somebody to the school to train the people who need it or send some representatives of the team that's actually in the trenches with the kids to go get that training and come back and share it? And what is your perspective on that? Because I've heard a lot of people who are actually the educators, the teachers, the special service, paraprofessionals, all those people. Why aren't we getting training? Why aren't we hearing about this? Where are they? We can't even ask our questions because they're gone all the time. Well, what... Not going to disagree. One of the things that I implemented was reporting out from conferences. And it sounds pretty basic, right? But it absolutely doesn't happen. So if I approved a conference, I asked someone to report back. How'd it go? What'd you learn? What can we share with the team? And so just that simple accountability, one, helps them decide which things they want to go to. And then second of all, you know, Training one person is powerful, but people leave districts. You know, I don't want to train somebody (laughs) to send them to somebody else's district. Right. I I want to benefit for my team. And so, so implementing some sort of reporting out at board meetings or here's, here's a conference summary report that gets emailed to everyone or having them present at a professional development day. Here's the three things I learned. It doesn't have to be big, but it has to be shared and, and they need to be accountable. I, you know, there are some conferences that are so specific, like for, you know, school psychologists, if you've only got one, what are they going to learn? I mean, what are they going to be able to share? And so, but they can report out, you know, I'm concerned about ACEs scores and childhood trauma. So I went to this conference about that and here's three takeaways and here's the handout but you know just that level of sharing out I think is incredibly valuable it also helps me better understand what their job is and what they're doing and what their concerns are 
you know, if they're going to ACEs and childhood trauma and I have 0% poverty, 0% diversity, you know, let's make sure that, that the professional development that we're, att we're attending is actually pertinent to the, to the work. That'd be yeah. great. And is there any, any suggestions about maybe limiting some of the spending on those kinds of things? Like, is it more equitable to bring somebody to the district to train everybody on these things, everybody that would be involved with the cost of that, even though it sounds like a high paycheck for that or payout, would that be more equitable than sending a bunch of people to a bunch of places where you've got travel and hotel and food and conference and all those things? Like, what are some of the other options or even saying like, okay, administrators, whether you're a school-based principal, whatever, or you're head of the curriculum, or you're the superintendent, you can go to one or two conferences each semester. Sure. I, I think that you need to be reasonable. And frankly, there's not a lot of professional development money, you know, available for a lot of things. So you have to, as you should be with any educational budget, you have to be thoughtful about where are we spending our money? What are we doing? The other piece is really, there are certain models of professional development that are shown to be stronger than others. Okay. And so if you go to a conference and you pick up three things and maybe you implement, and when I come back a month later and say, how's it going? And you're like, ooh, well, I haven't really, you know, like I, I wanna see implementation. I, I didn't pay X amount of dollars to, to send you on a junket to, you know, to go somewhere. I want you to, to have learned something and applied it. So as a good administrator, I'm going to check on that. Hey, right. you need to, you know, decoding training. How's that going? What, what, how are you measuring that? How are you measuring success? What can you model for your colleagues? The, engaging with the team that's engaging with professional development, super important. I mean, we've all been to conferences and walked out with giant binders that go to our shelf and hold down the shelf. Like that's that's the professional development, how to hold down a shelf. And so there, there's been no benefit and shame on us. Or it was a crummy training, but. And shame that, on the trainer. <laughs> right, shame on them. But then there are times when we can certainly share what what was brought to us. And I believe in the coaching model. I think coaching is an incredibly efficacious way of, of training folks. That's one of the things we do in my current role at Invo is we have behavior coaching and we bring a coach to the campus, not theoretical, not away from the campus. I hope you take this in and maybe can apply it. It's on your campus, at your job, a coach right next to you, helping you improve your skill set. Yes. I believe in that model because when the coach goes away, you have a really highly trained individual that has practiced, that has implemented, and is a resource to their colleagues. So I think that that's much more powerful. Is it more expensive? Yeah, you've got to fly in a trainer, but you know, sending ten per people to a conference versus bringing in one trainer, you know, crunch those numbers and look at efficacy, look at other people that have used this, how, how well has it worked? And, and would this be a benefit, especially in specific job-related training? I think it's the best model. I think superintendents need coaches. I coach superintendents, I coach executives, all of those folks. Michael Jordan had a coach, right? Like no matter where you're at in your career, we can always get better. And we can have someone asking us those tough questions because the superintendent, like as you go up in administration, some people, hopefully not me, but it probably happened too, like the ego becomes involved too. Like, I've got this, I've got all the answers. Well, shame on you again. No, you don't. And the moment you say that, somebody's gonna throw you a curveball and then you're gonna look silly. Um, and so asking those tough questions from a coach, is, is incredibly important. Um, and those are monies that I think people are hesitant to approve. School boards are maybe hesitant to approve sometimes. But if you have a new superintendent, they're gonna need a coach. They're, you know how many, just the acronym alphabet soup of education is incredible. 
you know, I, I once at a school board meeting showed slide after slide after slide. It was probably 10 slides of all the acronyms that we use in education. Yep. Well, as a superintendent, you have to know those. And that's just one little piece. What about finance? What about budgeting? What about negotiation skills? What about public relations? What about communications? How to run a board meeting? All of those pieces that are expectations from day one that people simply don't have. And right. so a coach can help guide through. There are some great training organizations, but a veteran that has done that job can say, okay, that's a priority and this is fluff like help sort through and, you know, check your ego. Why are you going to so many conferences? All of those types of things can be to the advantage of the district long-term. So that was a really intense and great interview. We actually did a long interview that we're breaking into two episodes. And so this first episode was really focused on district level. And I think there's a lot of changes there. And it was great that Will was really willing to let us bring up tricky things and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, he had a lot of great ideas and I feel like I should go purchase his book, What I Did Wrong, maybe a few copies and put them around my district or just send them a special hand, hand them out. <laughs> I think it would be helpful. I mean, it could be. we all need to change the way we do things sometimes, especially at the start of a new school year. Yeah. It was interesting that I liked that he not only addressed maybe the why, but then gave some tangible things that leaders can do and community can do, including teachers, and especially talking about voting when it comes to school boards, because we're seeing a lot of shift in school boards. And yeah, if it's not working for you, do something about it. Vote. <laughs> yeah, he gave a lot of great suggestions and really... I was taking notes, so super specific, like using a coaching model and then, you know, creating positive press for your schools and just changing the mindset, basically. And I love that he said every person should be onboarded. And I know that in a district you and I worked in together, paraprofessionals, special service providers, most of the teachers, there was no onboarding. I mean, besides taking HR mandatory virtual courses, there was no, like, this is our expectation for dress code. This is our expectation for lunch times. This is our expectation for having your cell phone, you know, any of that stuff. And that's, that makes a difference. It's hard for people to walk into a new situation, especially when they don't understand what's needed. So really good tips from him. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. So, and I love that he's always positive and has some some hopefulness to give us because I think we're making changes to move us forward. So on that happy note, together we can do better. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Bye.